That day, a Saturday, the Adonis had returned from Chicago, arriving mid-morning, bringing something more than 300 men to work in the mills, mostly come to work in the woodware mill. And Boyle had been at the pier to meet them, and had taken 200 of these men with him, leading them like a ragtag army into town to get drinks at the saloon on Emery and French and to find them accommodations in the boarding houses and hotels, and with any person or place who might put them up, or put up with them. Shortly after noon, having been at drinking most of the day already, Boyle stood outside of the saloon where a hatless and shoeless man stood in the street, obstructing traffic, and began to sermonize. Blow! Ye trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Playing to the amused crowd, Boyle listened to the shoeless, hatless preacher with incredulity and hilarity, mocking him with ingratiating and disingenuous sympathies. And when the shoeless, hatless preacher finished, Boyle proffered his bottle of whiskey to him. The poor fool smiled like Boyle was his friend and kin, and Boyle led him into the alley to drink with him and a gang of his hirelings, and to sing songs about women and drinking. Some in the town thought this treatment unkind, but Boyle argued that the man was largely insane and could benefit from the medicinal value of liquor. And truly, the shoeless, hatless man would be largely and mercifully stupefied with alcoholic drink when the day of doom struck and thus devoured him with the rest of the accursed multitude. Boyle stood all his two hundred men all the drinks that they might wish, for all of whom should be working with him on Monday morrow, and unbeknownst to them, should find their drinks expense their wages anyway, just as unexpectedly they would find those wages half of what they had expected. And there being so many men, the saloon was overcome by the numbers, so drinks were passed hand to hand like buckets in a fire brigade to the mass of drunks in the street. As the hot day wasted into a hot night, the drinking worked up the delinquency of these, who cursed with such foul words and brawled so for sheer painful pleasure of brawling, that the townsfolk went indoors in some anxiety. But Boyle reveled in the depravity that he had created. The conspirator, the dark master, the malevolent conjurer, who had manifest this filthy kettle of humanity, this massive drunken bedlam, multiplying spawn of transformed fiends and deformed monsters who spilled in seizures about the streets. He looked about him in the failing light of the day, across the chaos of rising dissipation and excess, painted sickly by tawdry gas lamps pouring urine yellow from out of the saloon through the squares of 
open doorway and fly-specked windows. Onto the sordid crowd who milled and stumbled into the highway, onto the oily faces of sweating men in a hot night, drunk, angry, blustering, lusty, sullen, stupid, and hilarious. And with self-satisfied triumph, Boyle judged them. This is man. This is what is man. This is what man is meant to be. Besotted himself, he later staggered back to the office, to his cottage, to his bed, and Camille, whom he would waken and enjoy. He found P on his cot lying naked in the hot night, and he laughed at him and told him, No work tomorrow, go get drunk. P watched him pass behind the shelves into the open office space and heard him go and open his door and call in the dark for Camille, who, to his surprise, answered him sleepily. P had thought because there was no light in the cottage that she had gone, but then understood she must have completely undertaken to live with him in her craven addiction. Must have now for a week, or even since her husband left. P got up, and from across the empty storeroom floor, its light dull upon its boards, saw that Boyle had lit the lamp and left the door open. And standing at an angle to the open door, P could witness what he wished he did not witness. Boyle sat next to where she lay naked, and put his hand between her parted legs and said, Hear thy shits, and hear thy pisses, and thar I fucks thee, and thar I fucks thee, and thar I fucks thee too, touching her mouth. And if I had me three pricks, I'd fuck thee three at once. He leaned and kissed her warmly, and she responded, drawing him to her with her hand in his hair. Boyle got up and undressed himself before her, and naked turned to the door holding his large, turgid penis in his fist and closed the door so that P could see no more. He heard him taking her. He heard her response. P went back to his cot where he could not hear them and lay down and listened to the bawling mob brawling in the streets there was an occasional gunshot. There were occasional crashes, shouts, scuffles, running. He could not sleep and debated getting drunk. Boyle, wearing only his drawers, appeared in the darkness at the end of the counter, looking at P. And P feared that Boyle had discovered what he had done. Boyle looked upon P with contempt but was wavering, still obviously drunk. He shook his head at P and staggered out into the night. P considered dressing and getting Camille, rescuing her, but he could not think where he might take her to safety and worried that she may be unable or even unwilling. But after a moment of indecision, he did dress and was at the door to see if Boyle was near when Boyle returned with three men. He said to P as he entered, No work tomorrow, go get drunk. 
Boyle pushed him aside and was followed by the fat boss of the sawmill and two sawyers he had seen about the yard. They went into the back office and to the cottage and Camille. P heard them stamp up the stoop and heard them address themselves to her in awkward formality, calling her Mrs. O. And P crept into the darkness of the back office to watch and saw her through the open door before the group of these men, standing, facing them from the foot of the bed in her Chinese silk robe, apprehensive, a hand clutching it in front to clasp it, a bare thigh revealed by the indiscreet gap of it, shocked to see the men brought before her, flushed, and brushing back her hair from her anxious face, where it had fallen while she had lain in bed, she asked him, What do you want? Disingenuously naive. And Boyle, grinning, and leering at her with the other men, sitting backward astride the chair, which he tilted back on its hind legs like a rearing stallion, spoke something that caused the men to laugh coarsely, and then gestured with a swept hand toward her, and commanded her, matter-of-factly, take it off. No one else spoke in the silence he had created by the shock of his intent, but they watched her anxiety cravenly. Meekly mewling, she bargained plaintively with him, with all of them, that she must not, that her husband must not know, that they must not tell, and so on. But Boyle, shaking his head at her, asserted loudly over her words that she put on a phony show to protest what she wanted, and winked and mugged at the men as he told them what they should expect. Encouraging her insistently, then fawningly, then appealing to her salaciously, but she resisted until finally angered, he slammed forward with the chair and repeated himself with irritation and malice, take off that fucking robe. This violence startled her and encouraged the leering men. In the silence of a long pause, in the tautly suspended moment, she looked pathetically at him, at each of them, then sullenly and slowly she surrendered to what he, to what they all, wished of her. P, stunned by his witness, turned away and left the place and went to town to drink. He did not pay for any drinks, still all tabbed to boil. P drank to stupefaction and dreamless sleep. When he awoke in the early morning, he found himself with several others lying in the alley beside the saloon, its door shut, the smell of horse shit and human urine all around them. He was determined now to quit. He went back to the office and found those goods under the counter that belonged to him. He helped himself to the pay, which was due him, from the till 
and took the folded cot to return it to the place beside the safe. The safe was open. The door to the cottage was open, but it was dark within. The ornamental lamp was not lit. That he might save her yet recurred to him. It was something he must try, at least, if he found that she was there. She was alone in the dark, naked and face down, and sidewise across the soiled, disheveled bed. He saw her clothing dimly in a corner on an upholstered side chair, draped upon an arm of it, her shoes and stocking upon the seat of it. He touched her back and spoke her name to awaken her. She turned and sighed, and rolling onto her back, drew the sheet to cover herself partially, flushed in her face and her chest, her lips swollen and still perhaps influenced by opium. But she nodded when he said he meant to take her away and told her she must get dressed and they must leave now. Boyle entered behind him. He had heard the conversation, and P, unaware of his approach, realized it only when he saw the fright on Camille's face as she looked above him. And then he felt Boyle's hands grip his shoulders and pull him away from her, flinging him backwards and out of the open door, tossed like a rag doll. He flew and fell like he weighed nothing to Boyle, who... Enraged by what he had seen and overheard, detesting him as he did, accused him now of betraying him, of fornication and theft. Boyle declared he was going to kill him, and P, stunned, knew that it was true. He saw that Camille, naked, had come to the door and was pleading with Boyle, and had taken him by the arm trying to pull him back to the bed and denying that P had touched her. But Boyle flung her away and charged upon him. P ran to the staircase, to the pit. On the catwalk, Boyle caught up with him. He hurled him down the stairs. He tumbled like a stone, and when he struck the ground, he felt his right forearm break where he had thrust it to stop his fall. He could not use it to defend himself. He saw Camille, naked, leaning towards them at the catwalk, holding its railing with both her hands and pleading with Boyle, who now stalked toward him. P clambered to a conveyor, and as he clung to it, was borne upward swiftly into the dark factory floor. Boyle followed him, crawling up it as it rolled toward the dark mouth above it. He gained on him and got a grip of his foot, which P violently kicked off. P was hurtled into the black abyss onto the heap of lumber scraps, skidding down the long slope of it, tumbling scraps with him and before him until he struck the dark factory floor. Above him, behind him, Boyle leapt out of the gaping, plunging conveyor, beyond the heap of wood and on to P himself who had fallen again upon his broken arm and was shuddering with pain. Boyle struck P with his fist, and P felt his nose break 
and it began to bleed. Boyle swung at him again for a lethal blow, but widely missed as P dropped to his knees, and Boyle swung himself so wide of him that perforce he fell to the floor. P scrambled away looking for escape and saw in faintly clarifying light the dim outline of a stairs returning to the catwalk and ran to it while Boyle clambered to his feet. He found the railing there and groping it with his good arm aided a quick descent to the catwalk where Camille saw him from the other end and came running toward him. She passed him and tried to block Boyle who, following upon P rapidly now, stood before the naked woman, cursed her, and threatened to kill her also. But stopping, he laughed and embraced her, kissed her, and sexually fondled her, obscenely and abusively groping, then shoved her away disgustedly with a slur to pursue P, telling him, Prayers or no, now you will die. P had descended again to the pit, and beside the infernal faggots, by the light of their red glare, he found and took up in his good left hand a bolt of wood with which someone might make a broom handle, intending to fend Boyle off or to injure him as best he could. Boyle laughed at him. Camille following, begged him, restrained him physically not to kill P. The three now gathered in the gloom, bathed in the red light around the red embers of the pit, P bleeding badly a useless right arm, cocking the stick with his left, and Camille, weeping naked, clinging to Boyle, who cast her away into the sands. Boyle took a knife from his boot. He told P he intended to cut his throat with it. Camille, hysterical, collapsed into sobbing. P raised his stick defensively as Boyle advanced with his knife before him, waving it, grinning, the blade of it glinting red lines. Boyle paused before the edge of the fire between them and repeated that he would kill him. P backed away when suddenly... Boyle lurched toward him and fell into the faggots, his hands outstretched and burned by them, his face striking them and burned. Camille stood at the spot where he had stood, and as Boyle rolled over and off of the faggots and picked the embedded embers out of his palms and his face, P ran after Camille where she had taken to the flight of the stairs. Soon, Boyle followed, but without hurry. On the floor of the office, Camille implored P to leave to run away to safety, but P refused to go without her, and she told him it was hopeless for her. She was as she deserved to be, and he should think of his wife and his children. P repeated that he would not leave without her. Hearing Boyle at the stairs ascending in slow and determined steps, Camille turned and went back inside the cottage, while P awaited the confrontation of his death. Boyle paused at the stairs, grinning. 
his face marked hideously with wounds of burns, half his mouth disfigured by burns, an eye swollen shut by a blistering burn. He held one badly burned hand limply, but the hand with his knife, though burned, he held firmly toward P. When he closed upon P, P dodged, but Boyle swept his knife toward him and caught his left forearm, raised to fend himself, and the blade sliced the flesh of his forearm like a slab of cooked meat, sliced it to the bone, and a severed artery burst and spent blood until P fell unconscious. Boyle knelt and lifted P's head by the hair to slice his throat, bracing himself to take his whole head, to be a trophy that he intended to throw upon Camille, cowering in her bed. Behind Boyle, above him, as he knelt, the ponderous ornamental lamp was improbably raised. Camille let it fall and bludgeoned him at the top of his skull, and he, stunned, sprawled forward and dropped his knife, and turning over on his back, saw her before he collapsed into unconsciousness. The bronze maiden struck the floor heavily beside him, its lamps shattered. The paraffin spilled out and soaked the wooden boards, purling with blood running from Boyle's head. Boyle's eyes glazed, his lids flickering to protest, his breath fast. Camille knew he would struggle to recover quickly. She went to the cottage and, returning with the jar of black tar opium, she pushed portions of it into Boyle's mouth, rubbing the substance on his gums and tongue, and he swallowed, groaning unconsciously. She put it all into his mouth and then knelt before P, and weeping, she rent his shirt from his body, tightened a tourniquet above his elbow to stop his pulsing loss of blood, and bound his wounded forearm with rags of cloth. None of this shall P recall, except it was later told to him. Clutching her soiled Chinese silk robe, Camille went desperately to seek Captain Robin who stood at the pier before the Adonis, speaking to Father Pernan. Father Pernan and Captain Robin and some of his crew hurried after her to find P, whom she had dragged to the front of the office. Father Pernan felt he should administer last rites, but at this Camille was so distraught that he forbore. Captain Robin's crew carried him to the Adonis, and brought him to lie in the captain's own bed. Camille bade the captain to wait upon her and return to the cottage, dressed and collected some possessions, and returned to the ship, where she asked the captain to recover luggage that she had left at the office door. Camille felt certain that P would die. You may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? You may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? Let in the days go.
Let the 